Welcome everyone to the season recap episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hidden Grove, joined as always by our Cavaliers beat reporter Chris Fedor, who uh, who is finally in the off season after it, Chris. You you I I have to applaud you. You during a pandemic, you traveled everywhere. You worked your butt off and you did it safely. Um, I, I got to tip my cap to you, my friend. That's not an easy job any at any day. Um, it's especially difficult during a pandemic, and it's especially, especially difficult when you're covering a team that uh, that doesn't do very well, which the Cavaliers certainly <laughs> did not this year at times. So I want to tip my cap to you and, and give you a, a round of applause. Job well done. Thanks, man. It was a wild season. There's no doubt about that. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, the season – felt so long and so short all at the same, at the same time. time exactly um there was a lot that happened from the very beginning until the very end and i'm um, i'm just happy that the company was willing to to let me travel on the road and document it the way that i did and and be in some of these weird arenas fanless at times and then growing into more fans at other times um I got a lot of stories out of this one. That's for sure. Yeah. I got a lot of memories out of this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's never going to be a season like it. I mean, hopefully never going to be a season like it. Um, hopefully we never have to do this, you know, for the next, what, 100 years. I hope we don't have to do this again, this kind of pandemic thing for another 100 years. And uh, who knows what, what will be going on like that. But certainly I don't think we'll ever see a season like this one. Uh, I have to say, too, like I yeah. capped the season. I felt like the most New Yorker in the world. Um, that was the last trip of the year. The Cavs were in Brooklyn. Yes. Uh, so I was riding the subway back from Barclays Center. Yes. And so a couple of years ago, somebody gave me a tip um, when it came to navigating New York. One, they told me that it was a grid, which changed my life, completely yeah. changed my life. And I started worrying about um, street numbers and cross streets and stuff like that that you never have to deal with when you're in Cleveland or some of these other places. Um, but they told me that for New York, and then I was able to walk around the city without Google Maps on my phone the whole time, which was great. It was life-changing. But then somebody else taught me how to ride the subway and the best way to ride the subway. So I'm leaving Barclays Center, and I know that um, the train that I took that late at night wasn't going to be the one that dropped me off closest to my hotel. So I did the most New York thing ever. I jumped off and I connected to a different number so that I could finish my journey um, at the subway stop that was closest to my hotel. So when like that was big time, like I jumped off the two and I hopped on the one and like non New Yorkers don't do that. Well, when do you move? I mean, when do you start your job there? When do you move to New York? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can afford that, Hayden. Uh, <laughs> I don't think a, a one-bedroom apartment for $5,000 a month or whatever it's going to be that has a tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny workspace is the way that I'm going to go at this well, point. I mean, if you're, you, I mean, it seems, I mean, you're you're traveling like a New Yorker. You're eating yeah. like a New Yorker. I mean, it seems like, you know, it seems like you got yourself uh a good spot over there. I was You're talking right. to I was talking to our buddy uh, Brian Winhurst, and yeah, um, we were texting back and forth because he lived in New York for a little bit, and I said, "Look, man, I love it. Um, it's probably my favorite city in this country. 
uh, beyond Cleveland. Um, I don't think I could live there. It's no. just so different visiting it and getting to know that you get to do the things that you want to do and also leave at the end of it. <laughs> we are, dude, we could not be on the, we could not be more on the same page. We could yeah. not be more on the same page because I completely agree with you. I love to visit New York so much. I have a bunch of friends there. Yeah. Uh, it's so easy to navigate in my opinion. Like you said, once you learn it's a grid, I mean, it's just, it's, you can get to where you need to go and it's got great food, great people, great atmosphere, great culture, all that good stuff. But like after a week, I'm like, get me out of yeah, this. Right. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's nonstop. It's exhausting. Right. Um, it's a different way of life. Honestly, taking the subway everywhere is a different way of life. And it's just always being on the go and always something happening. Even at the tail end of a pandemic, like it was packed. The streets, Broadway, packed. Uh, Fifth Avenue, packed. Central Park, packed. Yeah. So even at the tail end of a pandemic, it's just there's a lot of people and there's always something going on. It's funny that you bring that up too, Hayden, because I... um. I forget which day it was. I think it was Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday. I get back to my hotel after a long walk through Central Park and all the other things that I wanted to do. And there's this guy in the elevator with me, um, a little bit younger than I was. And you could just see it on his face, right? So I'm always trying to be cordial with anybody when I get in an elevator or something like that. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? You enjoying your time here? And he looked at me with this blank stare, right? And you could just tell. He was overwhelmed. He was exhausted. So he looks at me and he says, horrible. <laughs> oh, no. and, and I said, why? What's going on, man? And he says, I'm from a little bitty town of 5,000 people. Oh, no. I need out. <laughs> That's got to be the biggest culture shock to ever exist. Oh, no doubt. There's to no from, doubt about it. To go from a little bitty town to New York City. Oh, that's what he said. He's from. He's like, I'm from a little bitty town of 5,000 people. This is just too much for me. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Hope tomorrow gets better. And he says, it will. I'm leaving. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, that's, that's exactly it. It's just... <laughs> It's it's a little high paced. It's a little high paced, yeah. especially yeah. It's just it's a lot. It's a lot, and a lot of my friends that started living there are now gone. So, you know, it's a it's a good place to be for a little bit and then get out. Um, I suppose at some point we should talk about the Cavaliers. Although I could talk yeah. about I could talk about traveling in New York all day, but uh, Cavaliers finished this season in Brooklyn and they finish out at twenty two and fifty. So, Chris, I, I don't believe they hit either of our goals uh, or either of our oh. predictions. No, they fell one short of mine. Fell one short of yours and did not get to mine. I was a little optimistic, and I always am. I'll take that to the bank. I'll take that. Fine. But yes. um, 22 and 50 did not reach my 26, did not reach your 23. So what does that mean? I mean, this whole season in general, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we had low expectations because – of a lot of reasons, because of a lot yeah. of things. But certainly there were times this season, especially towards the end with the injuries and stuff, where it just looked and felt awful. Awful. 
So what yeah. I mean, if if you want to give just an over overview of like you know why they fell a game short and and what I mean you know a billion things could have gone differently, but there was a reason. Yeah, I mean, I just think when we have any kind of conversation about the Cavs of of this past season, um, to me, the how and the why are going to be more important than the what. Yeah. And look, I get it. There are some people that just want to focus on the what. They lost 13 of the last 14 games. Right. Um, they finished 22 and 50 on the season overall. Uh, they ranked, I forget what it was, last in offense? No. It was like third last in offense overall. Um, they didn't shoot enough threes. Uh, they didn't shoot the three well enough. Like, all those things happened. Um, and it is true. But but I have been saying for the last year and a half to anybody that's willing to listen to me, and I think that number is growing smaller by the day. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, things can be true, but not entirely accurate. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So, like, yes, that's... Yes, yes. Yes and no. That's, I mean, there's an argument. There's an argument that if it's true, that it's true. There's no there's no accuracy involved. If it's true, it's true. <laughs> so that's but like you're my right. approach you're at the right. end yes. of this whole thing. Right. There was an undercurrent of 2020, 2021 that cannot be ignored if you want to be fair and honest about this season. Yeah. And yeah. we all know what the undercurrent was. The undercurrent was that they had a whole bunch of injuries that prevented them from one answering questions two winning more games and three seeing what they can actually become. Like, I don't know at the end of this season, it's still hard for me to say definitively who the Cavs are um, and who they can be. But the thing that I do know, Hayden is that the final 14 games are not in any way an accurate representation of that answer. Right. That's very true. I completely agree. I completely agree with the injuries down the stretch. Yeah, you can't. That's right. But again, I think if you win more games to begin at the start of the season and when you were healthy, then it makes those 14 last 14 without, you know, without those players look uh, a little worse. You know, it's like, I mean, I get that to a point. I do. Right. Or a little better, I should say. Sorry. I, I, th- I think you would feel a little bit better. Um, yeah. But the truth is, like, things started going off the rails in terms of the win-loss record. Just in terms of the win-loss record. Yeah. During that February road trip. Remember yeah. that? Yes, the bad one. Yep. Right. So, like, what happened that led to that? If we're being honest. Andre Drummond, who was a big part of this thing at the beginning of the season, a big reason why they kept hovering around the 500 mark, he completely checked out. He yep. disengaged. Yep. Jared Allen arrived, and they lost Andre Drummond. Um, during that road trip, they also lost Larry Nance Jr., who yep. allowed them to become, I, I want to characterize this the right way, respectable defensively like they weren't a great defensive team but they weren't a disaster Larry Nance Jr. um, was probably the most impactful defensive player that they had right and they lost him 
right around that time as well. They were already without Kevin Love around that time. So, like, yeah, you can say they should have won more games at the beginning of the season, but when they were the team that we all thought they were going to be coming into the season, um, they were a 500 team. It's fair. It's true. Right. And that wasn't sustainable because there was a part of the schedule that they were about to hit where they were going into a meat grinder. L.A., Milwaukee, Phoenix, Denver, Portland, L.A., Golden State. Right. Like there was going yeah. to be some regression. There's no doubt about it. Um but but I think we can all honestly sit here at the end of this season and say, had the Cavs been healthier because of what we saw early on in the season, um, they would have won more games. Sure. It wouldn't have been a 22-win team. Maybe sure. it would have been closer to what you thought they were going to be, 28 or 29 or something along those lines. But But like, that shouldn't be... Like how you feel about this Cavs season to me should not swing based on, you know, a terrible stretch at the end of the season or a horrible stretch early February where they were playing against a bunch of playoff teams. Right. Right. That's fair. I think the thing that, you know, we can look at the we can look at the past, and the problem is, is that you never want to waste an NBA season. And I don't think this season was a waste. I don't think, but like it just seems like with so many injuries and so much, you know, happening with this Cavs team. And yes, you know, development certainly is important. And the most important thing with this franchise right now is developing Colin, developing yeah. Darius, and developing um, Isaac Coro, and maybe even and Jared, Jared Allen. Allen. Yeah, right. That's the most important thing. But other than that, I mean, it just didn't. There was really nothing like the, the if you if you were to bring out like something good from this season, if you were to think about anything good from this season, maybe the fact that they, you know, that they the JB Bickerstaff got a full year with these guys under his belt, maybe the fact that they navigated the um, the health and safety protocols really well, maybe the fact that um, you know there were moments for Colin Sexton, moments for Darius Garland, but like I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that the only like positive to take from this season. And again, make, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but there weren't many positives. The only positive you can take from the season in my mind is that Colin Sexton continued to, to get buckets. Um, Darius Garland, you know, looks like he definitely improved and, and you know, that development is well underway. Uh, Isaac Okoro came in and played, you know, pretty consistently and, you know, had a really, really tough start with, you know, such a quick turnaround and he did well. And then Jared Allen, you know, came in and, and really helped his team out and they, and they did a nice job in bringing him in. Other than that, I mean, again, that's a lot. I'm not saying it's not, but other than that, there really was not much to, to really hang your hat on. So I agree with those things that you laid out there, right? Yeah. But I disagree with your characteriz uh, characterization of um, only, <laughs> like, well, like yeah, all of those fair. things that you said are so much more important than anything else. Like, that's what this season was about, Hayden. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this season wasn't about playing or bust. Like, right. that's not the stage that they're in. This is year three of a rebuild. So if your expectations coming into this year were playing or bust, like, I think you were taking an incorrect approach from the very beginning. Sure. So. My quibble is with people that say, well, that's the only thing that they accomplished, or those are the only good things that happened throughout the course of the season. Like, 
through the prism of what matters most in this rebuild, like, that's a huge win. Right. I mean... <laughs> is it a I mean, huge win or is it a win? I think no, it's a it's win. it's a huge win. Did, I, don't, did, I don't know about it. Like, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, it's a huge win. Did, did we think that Colin Sexton was going to turn into an elite scorer? No. No. He did. Yeah. And and look, there are questions about Colin. Big questions about Colin moving yes, forward. Certainly. Um and, and they have some really difficult decisions to make when it comes to his contract extension. But like, take the individual did did we think when we were having conversations coming into this year about Darius Garland, or when we were having conversations about Darius last year when he was going through rookie growing pains, did anybody think that there would be any kind of conversation about maybe possibly Darius as the best point guard from the 2019 NBA draft that also included John Morant? No. No. But I think it's fair to at least wonder about that at this point in time because of what Darius accomplished here in year two and because of the trajectory that he's on. And this is not taking anything away from John Morant at all. But Darius year two is putting up very similar numbers to Ja year two, right? Who would have thought that coming into the year? Who would have thought that we would be having a conversation now about Darius as one of the best players from the 2019 NBA draft? That's a massive win. That's a massive win. In, In the span of one year, we've gone from a narrative around Darius about draft bust, statistically the worst player in the NBA to uh, there aren't too many guys beyond the fifth pick that the Cavs should have taken instead of Darius Garland. That's a huge win. That's a huge win. Like the fact that Isaac Okoro, I think towards the end of the season um, started showing more offensively while still doing some of the things defensively Um, that he was being asked to do on a nightly basis. And you started to believe in the upside and the untapped potential of Isaac and started to wonder, hey, maybe possibly with a full off season, maybe possibly with more work with J.B. Bickerstaff and Greg Buckner, that this guy can become a two-way wing in the NBA. Like, that's a huge win. And the fact that they were able to get somebody like Jared Allen who seems to be such a great fit around this young group um, and brings the kind of defensive presence that allows a team that still is starting an undersized backcourt that has big-time questions defensively about whether they can actually function together. Despite those questions, because of Jared Allen, because of some of these other pieces, like they were a respectable defense until Larry Nance Jr. Um, got injured and they had to play the skeleton crew over the final 14 games of the season. Like yeah. I do think those are huge wins in this big picture. I guess, I guess I, I think that all of this, and you mentioned Darius a lot and you mentioned Jared a lot. Yep. I think that all of this, I think by far and for whatever reason, for whatever reason, the, by far the most polarizing player the Cavaliers have is Colin Sexton. Yeah, of course. And it's just like if you're on if you're on Team Colin, 
The if you're on Team Colin, you, the the picture looks a lot more rosy, right? It looks a lot more rosy because oh, Darius Garland is playing really well, and Jared Allen, and then you have Colin who's great, and then you have you know Isaac Cora who you know really you know had a good rookie season for you know where he was. If you're not on Team Colin. Then it kind of looks like a mess. Then it kind of looks like, okay, well, Colin Sexton scores a lot of points, you know, does does a lot in the stat sheet, but doesn't really play well with his teammates, doesn't really elevate their games, doesn't help them, you know, win many games. You know, he's not game-changing all the time. So it's kind of that balance of if you're Team Colin, I think the future is bright. If you're not Team Colin, then the future is a little more, you know, up in the air and hazy. And I think that's kind of where I see, like, from fans – if, if there are fans of Colin Sexton and they really like Colin and they think Colin's going to going to be a piece that drives them to playoffs and beyond, uh, then they're happy with this season. And then if they're, you're not a fan of Colin and, you know, you don't like the way he plays the game and all that stuff, then you're thinking, OK, well, that something has to change because Colin can't, you know, continue to do what he's doing. So it's just it's kind of a chasm. And I'm sure that the front office of the Cleveland Cavaliers who drafted Colin Sexton uh, believed to be more on the happy side, because again, he is a great, he is a scorer. He can definitely get, you know, um, score in bunches and, and definitely can, can has improved drastically and is one of the better scorers in the league. So, I mean, for the Cavs, yes, it, it does seem as though things are heading in the right direction, but there are those that are not Colin or that are Colin Sexton detractors. So I guess you, who being somebody who definitely is not a Colin Sexton detractor, who really you know thinks that Colin Sexton is the second, or I was about to say the second coming, not the second coming, but just like a really productive piece. Um, explain or kind of rest or you know give us your case as to you know why those people shouldn't feel the way they feel. Look, I mean, I just think. There are things that he's already doing in year three that few other players in the NBA are doing from a scoring standpoint. Um, It doesn't mean that he's the perfect player. Um, It doesn't mean that he doesn't have flaws. Uh, There are things that he needs to work on. Um, But he's far from a finished product. Um, And I think the things that are within his control... um, I think he has done very well through three years, and I think it's hard to ask of anything more at this stage of his career. Like, his style is his style. That's not going to change. He's going to be a more difficult guy to play alongside than Darius Garland. But do you see why, why, like, that's what I'm saying. Is like, if his style is his style and it's difficult to play with, then, I mean— It doesn't mean they can't win with him. Okay. It doesn't mean that his teammates hate him. It just means that he has a more difficult style to play with than somebody like Darius Garland. Darius is somebody who gets others involved constantly because he's more of a natural point guard. Darius is somebody who has more of a smooth game to him. I I think if we're being honest, Colin has more of an ugly game rather than somebody like Darius, rather than somebody like Kyrie Irving, rather than somebody like you know, Damian Lillard, those kinds of guys. So for that, for that, so for that reason, again, I, I, I here I'm just piggybacking off this. So if Colin Sexton is difficult to play with, and he's or a little more difficult to play with, and even though he's productive, even though he can score, then if if this team is trying to move forward and trying to win games, then they're going to have to add pieces, right? So sure. say they add a piece in the draft. Say they get lucky and get Cade Cunningham. Um, you know, if Cade Cunningham comes in. Will would Colin get frustrated if he's not getting the ball, or would Cade get frustrated? I mean, if Colin's a guy that again 
I, I think here's here's my problem, and here's something that I'm trying to work through. Sure. Is if is if Colin Sexton uh, plays his game and is not going to change the way he plays his plays his game and scores in bunches. My problem is that I don't, and you've said this, and we both agree on this, is that Colin is not the guy. He's a good player, a good piece, but he is not the guy. Sure. The problem is, is what happens if the guy comes to Cleveland and then Colin has to kind of back off or gets frustrated. And then, you know, the whole thing turns into, um, you know, just kind of back and forth. I mean, you know, we've seen the frustrations at times at the beginning with Kevin Love and Colin Sexton. Um, and there's no reason to believe that for me that there wouldn't be future frustration from any any player that they bring in to kind of be the centerpiece of the organization because we both agreed that they don't have that right now. Right, so we cross that bridge when it happens. Okay, all right. See, this is my whole thing when it comes to Colin. Like, so many people are having these Colin conversations with themselves, right? They're saying, well, he's got to move to the bench. Well, he's got to take a step back from the scoring standpoint. Well, you know, um, the offense needs to flow through X player, Y player instead of Colin. Um, the Cavs eventually are going to have to move on from Colin and not give him this this contract extension. Uh, OK, sure. If, if those are the things that you feel, then who are you replacing Colin with? It's a great question. So that's like what it always comes down to. So maybe in the future, he is more of a sixth man. Maybe. I'm not saying that he is, but maybe he is. He's not right now because there's nobody better than him. There's no, no. option better than Colin Sexton to score for this basketball team. Yep. So he True. scores, and he scores efficiently, and he scores at a high level. Right now, there's no option better than Colin Sexton to be the starting point guard on this basketball team, even if that means an undersized backcourt with Darius Garland, right. right? Even if that means defensive limitations because of Darius and Colin together, right? You're not just going to move him for the sake of moving him. You're not going right. to trade him for the sake of trading him. You're not going to move him to the bench for the sake of moving him to the bench. Somebody has to come take that from Colin, right? Yeah. Like nobody's yeah. taking that from Colin. No, not right now. So if Cade Cunningham gets drafted by the Cavs and he takes that from Colin and that's better for the Cavs and it leads to more wins and it leads to a better defense or whatever the case may be, then so be it. There's 48 minutes at a basketball game. You can play them all 30. Fair. There's no rule that says you have to play them all together. Nope. I mean, we talked about this on the last podcast, Hayden. Colin Sexton and Darius Garland – together played like five first quarter minutes throughout the course of most of the season, despite the fact that they started together in the backcourt because JB Bickerstaff staggered them because he wanted Colin to run the second unit or because he wanted Darius to run the second unit. So you can figure all these kinds of things out. I think organically they're going to work themselves out. That's okay. That's, that's absolutely, that's fine. That's, that's, if you think that if you, I mean, I'm, I'm there, I'm with you on that. You know, it's going it, to, you have to kind of wait and see how it plays out because again, we can look so far into the future, but you're right. You're right. There's no guarantee that Kate Cunningham comes to Cleveland. There's no, you know, there's nothing like that. So you're and right. For, and, and here's the other thing for teammates and opponents that sometimes have a problem with Colin uh, shooting too much, dribbling too much, not passing enough, 
only looking to be a scorer. Uh, number one, that's flawed. He just averaged a career best 4.4 assists as the two guard, by the way. Yeah. He's not the point guard. He's the two guard. Um, and the other thing is like, okay, if Collins not taking those shots this past year, if we're being honest about this past year, if Colin isn't taking those shots, right? If he's not scoring those points, can you tell me who is? No. Certainly wasn't going to be Kevin Love. Nope. He wasn't going to score 24 a night consistently. Right? He right. wasn't going to efficiently score that kind of... He wasn't going to efficiently handle that kind of workload. No. Uh, okay, so Colin shoots a little bit less so that Jetty gets more shot attempts <laughs> a game? No, 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 right? no. So no. Colin shoots a little bit less so that Isaac Okoro, who was 19 no. coming into the year and flawed offensively, gets more shots? No, 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 no. no. So okay. Colin shoots okay. less so that Jarrett Allen gets more shot attempts a game? Okay. okay. I am willing. I am willing. I am willing to see what will happen when Colin Sexton gets – when a when a player that is meant to be – a centerpiece, star piece, however you want to call it, to the Cavaliers. I will I will then be willing to judge Colin Sexton fairly. Until then, I am with you. The my other question is now the Cavaliers again, the Cavaliers free agency situation, it just it doesn't I don't believe that they're in a situation where they're gonna bring in a a high-end free agent. I mean that just doesn't make <laughs> they it don't have they don't have the cap space to do it. Right, they don't have the cap space, and right now it's not. You know, I don't know what you know outside of a outside of a LeBron James type. <laughs> yeah, right. Out where there were uh, ties and unfinished business and all that, I just I don't see any top three just coming to Cleveland. But um, I mean, would I guess would Colin Sexton be a a hindrance for or would, would okay would Colin Sexton be a pro or a con for a free agent in your mind? Wait a minute, are you serious? Yes. Come I'm absolutely on. serious. Come on. Free agency doesn't work like that. All works about money, right. Like, yeah, of course a player is going to look at the roster and say, do I have a chance to win? I didn't say, I didn't say a yes or a no. I didn't say that Colin Sexton was going to be the be-all, end-all. I just said, is he going to be a pro or a con? That's like, that's like number... 15 or 16 down the list of things that matter to prospective free agents. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, so it's, what's one through four? So, so money, money. Is one, one, money is one through 14. The city of Cleveland living there is <laughs> 15 and then Colin 16. I mean, it's money, it's opportunity, it's system, it's relationship with a coach maybe or right. somebody within the organization. It's um, location. Where do you want to live? Right. And then you can keep going. Uh, I think, dude, I think teammates and situation and, and a belief in an organization and whether they can win obviously matters. But I don't think like Colin Sexton is a blinking light of, yes, I'm going to go to Cleveland or no, I'm going to stay away from Cleveland. I just said a pro or a con. I didn't say a... a, a... I didn't say, like, a, a deciding factor. I just said a pro or con. I don't know that he's either at this point in time. Fair. 
Fair. So, like, if if you're a guard, right, that is similar to Colin, and you have the same kind of game as Colin, and you play the same kind of role as Colin, you're not coming to Cleveland. That's obvious. Fair. But the Cavs also aren't going to target players like that at this moment because they have Colin. True story. Now, here's the other thing. When it comes to this young core that we're talking about, these four guys, right? Like, there's no guarantee that the Cavs are like, hey, we're just going to keep the status quo with these guys. We're going to grow this organically. Yeah, they could do that. Sure. Or they could use those assets and they could try and package them for a more ready-made star. There if you, you remember, go. that's that's what Houston did with James Harden, right? That certainly could happen. You're that's right. what the Phoenix Suns did to get Devin Booker the kind of help that he needed with Chris Paul. Um, that direction is available for the Cavs, in part because they've drafted well enough where they have these young assets and they've kept their draft picks into the future, where if that opportunity presents itself, like, sure. They could try and speed this process up a little, like Chicago did at the trade deadline with Nikola Vucevic. You know, that's always an opportunity um, when you're in the middle of a rebuild and you've spent the last couple of years collecting assets. I'm not saying they're going to go that way. I'm just saying that that is a possibility. Well, the one thing that we do know is that they have an opportunity to collect potentially their biggest asset in the 2021 NBA draft. Yeah. So the Cleveland Cavaliers currently are tied for fourth in the odds. Um, And I believe that'll be a coin flip. It's a coin flip on Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. So that'll be a coin flip that will determine who is the fourth and the fifth currently. um, So basically it won't change the odds for either Oklahoma city or Cleveland to get the number one pick. Uh, Yes, it will. Well, it says 11. Po- I see right here, be a, it says 11.5. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. Well, that's currently. Oh, currently. Got it. Got it, got it, got somebody's it. Somebody's okay. got to be four and somebody's got to be five. Right. Like going well, the top into the three. Level. Okay, so the top three have 14, 14, 14. Right. Okay. So then what So then, what would the fourth be compared to the fifth? I don't have it off the top of my head. Okay. I need to find I had it. it. I thought I had it in front of me, and it, apparently I did not. So I apologize. Um, hey, um, I have it written down because I'm doing a story on may, this coming Chris, up. Chris, may, maybe it's 11.5 for number one and 11.4 for num- number, or excuse me, 11.5 for number four and 11.4 for number five. Uh, I don't think that's right. Hold on. Uh, so last year it would be 12.5 for number four. Okay. 10.5 for number five. Makes That makes more sense. Okay. So got it. That makes a lot more sense. Okay. So it'd be 12.5 for number four, 10.5 right. for number five. Got Which, it. Which, duh, that's why they have it at 11.5, 11. 11. That's 5. correct. Yes. Because it's currently a tie. But that tie is going to be broken on Tuesday. Gosh darn it. Math is not supposed to be involved in this stuff. <laughs> Haven't we already told them that we don't do math here? All right. So fine. So, okay, so if Cleveland wins the fourth overall pick in the coin flip, they will have a 12.5% chance to get their number one pick. Oklahoma City would have a 10.5% chance. And if obviously if Oklahoma City won the coin flip, then they would have the 12.5. The Cavaliers would have right. the um, would have the 10.5. So with that I said— I have a question all, for you. I have yeah. a question for you. 
Yeah. Before you even go down this road. Yeah. Um, do you agree that Cade Cunningham is the player that the Cavs need more than anybody else? One million percent. All right. One million percent. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question that, that somebody in the NBA asked me the other day. If you right now, this is kind of like Tiger in the field for golf. I love if it. If you right now, as a Cavs fan, could lock in top five and you solidify that spot and you fall no further than five, then five, no further than five. Okay. Not to seven, not to eight. Okay. You lock in top five, but it's not number one. Okay. Right. You have to lock in five at this point. Okay. That's your spot. And that solidifies being in the top five. Right. Right. Or you can play the lottery and take your chances. What would you do? I'm playing the lottery. Really? Yeah. This is I mean, a year how far where they fall. I mean, Hayden, they could fall to like eight. Nah, I'm playing the lottery. Depending on where the coin flip is. I'm playing the lottery. I'm this rolling is, with it. This is considered by a lot of people to be a five-player draft. I Actually, some, some would consider it a four-player draft, but other people would say five-player draft. And that could change by the time the draft actually rolls around. And I understand that. And you're but still playing I, it. I, my philosophy, and the way that I live, I guess, would be that I would rather have a shot okay. to get the one, this first, second, third, or fourth best pick in the draft than guaranteed to get the worst of those five. Well, here's the thing. I mean, again, you could fall outside the top five. Sure. You could fall to seven. You could could fall to eight. And then... Sure you could. I don't know who the hell you're looking at there. Corey Kispert, maybe? Gonzaga? Uh, Sure. But that's the point, is that I'd... So I'm I'm eliminating... by, by, by By falling into number five... I am guaranteeing that I will not have a chance at Cade Cunningham, right? Yeah, right. So that is not something that I want to do. Okay, fair. I'm Right now, I'm giving you Jonathan Kaminga. I'm giving you that on a platter. And you're saying, no, I'm going to take my chances. Your chances could end up being Cade Cunningham. You're right. They could end up being Evan Mobley or Jalen Green. You're right. They could also be Corey Kispert. Correct. That's still taking that chance. All That's right. a chance I'm going to take. All right, man. I like it. You're a gambling yeah. man. Yeah, you got to be a river. You know, my boy, Riverboat Ron. <laughs> I would not be the favorite. Uh, okay, I, I think there's a balance. And I think there's a balance between being aggressive and being, um, you know, right. being too conservative. And I tend to be on the more aggressive side and in the way that I view how these franchises should, you know, or, you know, the decisions that they make. But I totally understand if, if, if Kobe Altman was like, hell no, give me number five. <laughs> like, I want to save my job. I want to make this, make sure we're, you know, we're, because it's not my franchise to run. It's not my, you know, I, that's just a hypothetical. Now, if I was actually in the situation where I'm Kobe Altman, maybe I'd be like a little, take a little more time with it. And that's what's funny is that I feel like a lot of GMs actually aren't more like Kobe Altman. It would be more like me, like, let's go. <laughs> Man. Full disclosure, I answered the question the same way that you did. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Because, because I'd rather, right. 
shoot, no team in this year's draft needs Cade Cunningham more than the Cavs. Correct. And, and there's a- no player that the Cavs need more than Cade Cunningham. Yep. That's exactly my point. Is that why would I not give why would I give myself zero chance right. to go grab the guy that we that they de- like if I'm the GM, why would you we why would we give ourselves zero opportunity to get that guy? I get it. I'm with you. So yeah. I mean, I certainly. So I listen, I totally Totally, 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 totally would do that. Would, would I think some people up. would go the other way. I think they'd be like a guaranteed shot at one of the top five players. Yeah, I'll take of course, that. Because, of course. Because Scotty Barnes is ugh. Because Corey Kispert is no. Because Jalen Johnson, oy, oy, oy. You know what I mean? So because they're, again, I think because it's they're, a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I mean, there are people, everybody has a, I don't, I'm never going to hate on somebody for that. I mean. Although Corey Kispert, if you if you got Corey Kispert, I mean, oh no, no, I mean they do need shooters, but come on. I know, I know, I'm with you. Jalen Suggs, Jalen Suggs, he's top four. He's yeah, he's not fallen to eight or seven or something like that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, again, you're looking at Moses Moody, you're looking at uh, Corey Kispert, one of the Johnsons, Keon or Jalen, Scotty Barnes, like yeah. there's a, a Josh Giddy. The, the Australian kid who's like a walking triple double. Um, how about uh, how about how about Drew Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man! You're just throwing out dudes that you watched in college basketball. No, dude, it's more the stash than anything. I think. Yeah, that. sure. Just sign him as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, baby, I'm in. Let's go. There you go. Let's go. UDFA. <laughs> Let's go. You can be the, with the Fu Manchu. I'm in. Yeah, you can be the next Lamar Stevens. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> but no, seriously, I'm I'm with you on the Kate Cunningham thing, and I'm glad because again, they just we both agree that they need him so bad. He has length. Yeah. He has size. He has the ability to. I mean, just everything. And again, he's he's not. There's no guarantees that he's a great player. Like he, there's no guarantee he could be a bust. You know, you never know. But it just. For what they need and for the, you know, the caliber of prospect he is, I mean, I don't think there's right. any chance that, you know, they would even hesitate for a second to draft Kate Cunningham if they got that opportunity. So we'll see if they do. That's that's the, the ping pong balls have not been kind to them over the last, uh, what, three years, three, four years. And obviously they didn't have ping pong balls for a long time with LeBron. So uh, it's probably been longer than that, probably going back to the days of uh, – of Dion and Kyrie and Tristan and all and those. Wig. And Wig. Don't forget Andrew Wiggins, Wiggins and Anthony yeah. Bennett. Well, but yeah. Well, should we we should try to forget about Anthony Bennett, huh? Hey man. <laughs> Three lottery wins in four years. That was that was something of legend. Oh, the Anthony Bennett. I mean, I remember I have never been more shocked. I have never been more shocked with the first overall pick than Anthony Bennett. Ever. Speaking of Anthony, I saw our boy Anthony Lama yesterday, or on Monday, Tuesday? Tuesday. Sorry about that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he was the big Anthony Bennett guy. He was. I I mean, he's a I like Anthony a lot, and he's a great guy. Not Anthony Anthony was also a big Deion Waiters guy. We're just going to keep throwing his draft misses. Yeah. He was also a big Jabari Parker guy. Eh, true. Deion Deion had, I, I liked Deion. I like Dion. He just had some demons that. That's your fault. Uh, what? Say it again. I said that's your fault. That's my fault for liking Dion. Fair enough. Yeah. As a player. Fair yeah. Fair enough. Fine. Fine. But Anthony Bennett, I remember that. I mean, that was 
I was like, holy smokes. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, unfortunate for him. But 28 yeah. years old, he's made a lot of money. I don't feel that bad, you know? Sure. He, he's made his millions, and he'll be all right. He'll but to your right. point, you're right. So far, the last three years during this rebuild, they have not had lottery luck. No. I mean, no. eight, five, and five. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, I mean, I guess you could say the third time's the charm because this last year with the Coro, there really wasn't. I mean, maybe LaMelo was, maybe LaMelo. Oh, had, yeah. Like, but, like, they weren't, it wasn't, like, a super, like, super exciting, like, Zion-type, R.J. Barrett-type prospect, you know, or a Luko-type prospect or something like right. that. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, third time would be the charm. I mean, they really wanted Luka. They really wanted Zion. And uh, this could be it. Kate could be it. And if he's not, well, here we go. <laughs> How, like out of okay, out of the other guys, who do you like then? Out of the other guys, I mean, say the Cavaliers do get a top five pick. Yeah. Who do you like? Who like who would you? Which one? How would you draft? How would you rank them? I guess you would say. I think for what they need, oh man, this is hard, because like, Kaminga is something that they need. He's six yeah. foot eight, two fifteen, yeah. can probably play three and four. There's a lot of raw potential there mm -hmm. but like he's all upside at this point in time yeah sure i think jalen green is fascinating um i think he can be some kind of facsimile of kevin porter jr just that kind of mold somebody who can create for himself create for others um wish he was a little bit taller maybe he grows a little bit Wish he was a little bit stronger. Maybe that happens again. But, you know, he's still six foot six. He can probably get up to close to 200 at some point in time. Suggs is fascinating because they need an alpha, and yeah. he's an alpha. Yep. You saw what he did in college, you saw what he did in high school. Like, I had somebody in the NBA call him the Russell Wilson of basketball. Huh. Like those kind of characteristics, right? The intangibles, the leadership, um, the character, the gravitational pull. Like dudes just gravitate to him. Yeah, he's special. But he's also, you know, six foot four, 205, more of a point guard. And I don't think the Cavs are in any position to exclude anybody any of those talented guys simply because they have Darius and Colin. But I, I think we can say that that's not the ideal fit, right? Yeah, right. You know, Kaminga, a better fit. I like Suggs as a player more and the things that he brings, the Cavs definitely need. So to me, it's probably Cunningham, Mobley, Green, Suggs. Those two are very close to me. Then Kaminga. Okay. Um, that's that's my order at this point in time. But but I do think there's a gap between Cade and Mobley, and I do think then there's a gap between Mobley and Green. All right. You know it's funny for years. I mean for for those years with with Colin and uh, and, and Darius and said, hey, just pick the best player available. You know, yeah, at that yeah. point. And now it's kind of like, oh well, fit might be an issue. Yeah, because again, they drafted guards, and you know, Suggs would be a good fit, but or it wouldn't be a good fit because he's a guard, and you know, so I, I think it's a little different these days. But again, 
the 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 Cavaliers they would be they they are lucky to find themselves in a good position to draft a player like Cade because best player in the draft and again at a position of need that's what you always want so we'll see if that happens I don't know I, I can't wait for the lottery um, because then we can kind of have a clear um, clear indication of what's going to happen with uh, all these guys I mean would, I wanted- you, would you consider Mobley yeah I think you have to just because yeah. of the talent yeah. I don't know if he's a four or a five in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but you have to because of the talent. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. And he's well, very unicorn-ish, and he's an elite defender. I think he can switch and defend in that um, kind of situation, even against smaller guys. I think he's got the foot speed and the athleticism to do that. I think that's important to have in the NBA. And I think you can kind of project forward if his offensive game evolves, um, if he's more reliable as a perimeter-oriented player. I don't know if he can be, but if he is, then I think you can start to envision him playing alongside Jared Allen, too, in like a freaky defensive-minded front court, um, which would really, really help, especially if you're going to run Darius and Colin moving into the future. I was going to say... Could you imagine the smallest backcourt in the NBA or the smallest backcourt in the NBA and like the dollar's biggest defensive minor front court right. in the NBA? <laughs> I mean, that would be that's how you do it though. That's how you survive yeah. with if if Darius and Colin don't survive on their own because they give you enough offensively to allow you to overlook the flaws defensively, the other way you survive is you put the right pieces around those guys so that they can um, be a good defensive team overall, and Mobley and Allen and Larry Nance Jr. and Isaac Okoro and those types of guys can help Darius and Colin and right. make it so that they can't be exploited repeatedly. Yeah. That would be really intriguing. But again, you know, Kate is the one. Yep, Kate is the one. To me, anyway. Yep, no, Kate is the one. But I want to say something. You said something interesting about, like, the Cavs not considering fit with Darius and Colin. Yeah. Like, I disagree with that. That they wouldn't consider fit or they would? No, that back in 2019 that they didn't. Oh. Like, I honestly believe, and I'm in the minority on this one, and I get it because they're both undersized guards. Right. But I honestly believe that 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 pick, the Darius pick, was a combination of fit and talent. Okay. So let me explain it. Let me explain yep. it. Please do. I think they learned throughout the course of 2018-19 that Colin was not a point guard. I yep. think they learned that. I think they recognized that. And I think they said, hey, look, if we're going to continue to allow Colin to flourish and we're going to continue to allow Colin to evolve into the player that we believe that he can be. And if we're going to put him in a position that's best for his individual growth, we need a natural point guard. So that responsibility doesn't fall on Colin so that we don't put him in a position to fail. Okay. All right. I can see that for sure. I can see where, yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, yes. I mean, I, I guess maybe a little. Okay, I guess my point was maybe that like a little more. Hmm, I don't want to put this. It just wasn't as big of a deal. So right, I think the the, the line that you're going with is like, 
a lot of people felt because they had already drafted a small guard that if if fit would have drove the pick more logic would have pointed you towards Jarrett culver cam reddish yep like guys who were potential to be two-way wings yep and by the way what a mistake that would have been right could you imagine today if we were having the conversation about if the Cavs would have taken culver or cam reddish instead of darius garland and what the view of this organization would be today who boy and people are already down on the front office, right? People are already down on general manager Kobe Alt. Right. If yeah. he would have taken, if he would have taken Mo Bamba and Ooh. Cam Reddish, Ooh. like, Ooh. see, that's why to me the Kobe conversation is so perplexing, and yeah. it doesn't mean that he's done everything right. But we're not sitting here looking at a core of Mo Bamba, Cam Reddish, and like, who could they have taken instead of Isaac Okoro? Let's see. In a bad way. NBA draft 2020. I can't even remember who was drafted after Isaac. <laughs> who was it? I know Williams went before him. Okay, like Obi Toppin. Yeah. Right. Who we both who I liked. Or if it was like Kevin Knox, Jarrett Culver, and Obi Toppin. Like that's not the core that we're talking about here. We're talking about Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Isaac Okoro. Right. Right. You can make an argument that based on where the Cavs were picking, each one of those guys was the best possible pick that they could have made. Well, that's the problem, is that there's nothing more possible. They need to find something more possible. That's that's (laughs) absolutely right. But do you knock the front office, right? Do you knock them because they weren't in position to draft a star? No. No. I guess you could make an argument that maybe Shea has the ability to be a star, or Michael Porter Jr. has the ability to be a star, and that would have been better than Colin Sexton. But again, we've talked about that. I think that's splitting hairs. Like, I don't think you can hold it against this front office that they haven't gotten a star because they haven't been in position to get a star. Yeah. Yep. Well, Being in position and passing on one. Okay. Sure. I get that. Or, or they had, they, they got lucky and got one and then it just fizzled out with Kevin Porter Jr. <laughs> right. Right. I get that. Yeah. I mean, if you want to hold the KPJ thing against the front office, sure. You can. Mm. It's not so much the – I mean, okay, they drafted him. I mean, they saw the right. potential. So it's like, can you really right. can you really hold it against them? I guess it's more just like the – like, again, just kind of like the, the external stuff. Like, yeah. the basketball stuff isn't all bad. Like, again, I think there's definitely, you know, good things about Colin, good things about Darius, good things about Coro, good things about Jared Allen, good things about um, – uh, great things about KPJ. But, like, I just again, we've, we've talked about this. Like, the mm-hmm. off-court external stuff is just not good, and it hasn't been good. And they got to figure fair. that out. Yeah, that they stuff has to stop. You're right. You can't be a bad team and have that stuff as well. You know what right. I mean? Right. Exactly. That's the whole point. Or, so I don't know or, why that look, happens. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know if you know. I don't know if it, I don't know if Kobe knows. I don't know again. But something's got to change, right? I mean, that's right. the, the bottom line. And that's the thing. And we talked about this a little bit on on last week's podcast. 
if you're going to criticize Kobe, I think there are certainly things to criticize him for. There's no right. doubt about that. I just don't think I'd start with the draft record. That's just no. me personally. No. Like you can talk about conflict management and you can talk about this is a relationship business and this is a people business and his connection with people and players hasn't been great. And you can talk about sitting Andre Drummond and you could talk about the contract extension for Kevin Love. There's enough there that you can criticize. That's for sure. Yeah. But I wouldn't start with a draft record. That's no, just I wouldn't either. Definitely would not. All right, brother. Well, uh, we are heading into the offseason. We are getting ready for that. Um, you're getting ready for that NBA draft lottery, which is going to be certainly going to play a huge factor in what the Cavaliers do moving forward. I think, honestly, from there um, is really when they'll start to figure out, okay, what do we need? What do we want? What are we going to do with some of these guys? Make those decisions. I think the first decisions they have to make, or the first thing that has to happen is this NBA draft lottery. I think that'll definitely help them get a better, clear picture of, okay, if they get Cade, if they get the number one pick, if they, you know, have a chance to Cade, what are they going to do? If they don't, what are they going to do that way? So, and obviously we've talked about the difficult Kevin Love situation. Yeah. And uh, I oh think we got to tip our caps to uh, two Cavaliers legends in Matthew Delavadova and Anderson Verzo, who, uh, Will uh, not pro. I would say ninety nine point nine percent will not be back with the team, but uh, certainly meant a lot to the organization to the city. I'm curious from your perspective too. Mm-hmm. We we have talked about this. This is a critical off season for the Cavs. They've yeah. got some big decisions to make. Yeah. Jared Allen, Colin Sexton, Kevin Love. Um, whether it's time to hit the go button and and trade some of the young core pieces for a more help now starry type player. I don't even know who that would be. Um, I have I have some names in mind, but I think that's probably for a different podcast at this point yeah. in time. I, I'm curious. Yeah, a whole off season. What would you prioritize this off season? What do you think is most? You can't say win the lottery because that's out of their control. What would you prioritize? Would you prioritize a, a Sexton extension? Would you no. prioritize? Jared Allen, would you prioritize finding a way out of Kevin Love? Um, what would you prioritize? Would you prioritize like getting J.P. Bickerstaff an assistant coach who is more offensive minded that can kind of help them take the next step in that realm? I'm curious. This is going to sound funny and it's okay. going to sound maybe stupid, but I would prioritize a direction. All right. Like, let's find a direction because right now, Right now, you're 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 gathering a foundation. You're getting some young pieces. Now let's let's prioritize a direction. Are we going to what? What are we going to hang our hats on? How? What kind of a team are we going to be? What do we? I mean, all that stuff. Like, okay, yeah. culture is one thing, and that's something Kobe talks about a lot. And you know, it's it's a ton of coach speak, a kind of a ton of you know front office speak. I get it, but like, you seriously prioritize a direction. And that means, again, that's going to be – and that's why I think it's largely you know, going to be determined on this draft. Okay, if you get the number one pick, then the direction is Cade Cunningham and building around Cade Cunningham with some of these guys. You know, Then you figure that out. If it's not Cade Cunningham, okay, you figure out what you do. Okay, so you get a top two pick. Are we going to draft Mobley? Are we going to be that team? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of say, okay, you know, what are we going to do with the wing? So you need to prioritize a direction, and I think – 99 or maybe even less than that, maybe like 85% of that is going to be determined based on this draft. Because again, I think it's such a crucial draft and what happens in this draft, the player that you get in this draft will certainly help to to turn you in one direction or or another. 
And obviously the Kevin Love thing is important to get figured out. Uh, the Jared Allen thing is important to get figured out too. I think that they should definitely, I think that's probably my number two is Jared Allen to get him figured out. Um, and Kevin Love, number three, and then Colin Sexton, number four, maybe in that order. But yeah. I think number one is just finding that direction. Get that, get a direction and and go gung-ho at it. Now that doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean like, that doesn't mean like, you know, start trading off guys and start, you know, just pressing that we need to compete now. Sure. But um, but certainly I think that, you know, okay, we we have this, we're going to go gung-ho in this direction. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, well, then we're going to have to start over anyway. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, I I, I agree. I do think they have to pick a direction. Um, in, in some ways, like, you don't want to get stuck in limbo, right? Like, at, there was a point where Phoenix decided, all right, we've got to find somebody to go with Devin Booker. And then they did, right? right. There was a point, and it happened this past year at the trade deadline, where Chicago was like, you know what? We've got to find somebody for Zach Levine. Yes, we've acquired these young players. Um, yes, we're still in the middle of this build, this turnaround. But but we've got to pick a direction. And, and they decided to hit the go button. Um, right. I don't know that the Cavs are at that point yet where it's time to hit the full-on blinking right. red go button. But right. you're right. From this standpoint, the expectations are going to rise next year. Yes. Right. It's going to be year four post LeBron, year four of a rebuild. And I think the level of evaluation, my my approach is going to be different. My level of evaluation is going to be different as well. I said it this past year, you have to do it independent of result. I said it yep. this past year that you had to evaluate the individual pieces and the growth that they made um, independent of all the other things that you normally use to measure success. Right. And I think I can sit here and say that I think the Cavs did have success in some of the areas that I thought were most important this year to them. But next year, that evaluation changes. Next yes. year, the expectations change. And because of that, to me, Hayden, I think the most important thing for them to do is to find the right veterans. I don't think they have the right veterans. Okay. If, if you're a team that wants to take that next step, right, and you want to start to get closer to the play-in or closer to the playoffs, and I, I don't think this team is positioned to go from uh, what they are now, third worst record in the NBA, to top half of the Eastern Conference. That's unrealistic. Right. But the next step for this team is play-in slash bottom of the Eastern Conference playoffs, right? So... If you don't get Cade in the lottery, that star, you've got to find the right veterans because young guys don't consistently win in the NBA. Right. True. Look at what the Knicks did. The Knicks are there in part because of Julius Randle. Yep. Right. Look what the Hawks did. The Hawks are there in part. Yes, Trey Young, big deal, huge deal. Him taking that leap, that was massive for them. Uh, them firing coach uh, Lloyd Pierce and getting Nate McMillan. That was huge for them as well. Um, but they went out in the offseason, and they added reliable veterans um, that could help support the young players. Bogdanovich, Capella, um, Danilo Gallinari, like those kinds of guys. 
you know more consistently on a nightly basis what you're going to get from those kinds of guys. Right. And they know what it takes to win, and they know better how to play winning basketball. Um, you can say the same thing, like I said, for Phoenix. Um, that, to me, beyond the fact of a focal point of this rebuild, Hayden, yeah. that, to me, is what this organization is missing more than anything else. It was supposed to be Kevin Love. That was the thinking behind giving him the massive extension in 2018. He's going to be the guy to support the young guys. He's the guy that we know is going to be there on a night in, night out basis, giving us, you know, what Julius Randle is giving the New York Knicks. Yeah. He's not that guy. He hasn't been that guy. He right. has failed at that. Right. So you've got to find that guy. I completely agree. I completely, completely, completely agree. So with that, I mean, again, that's it's all part of it's it's all the, the the next step has arrived. The next step has certainly arrived, and that's so, the toughest one. Yeah. Well, we'll see how they do. This is this this is their chance. This is their chance to take that next step. We'll see how they because do. Because I think we saw it this past year, right, with these young guys, they started to play in some meaningful games. There was more pressure, right? There was more expectations, and yes. Part of their collapse had to do with the injuries. We talked about that. Yep. But you could also see them kind of get shaky, kind of get rattled, not handle those kinds of moments well, because they, they don't have guys that have been in those moments that know how to thrive in those moments beyond Kevin, and Kevin wasn't Kevin this year. Nope. Nope. That's true. That is true. All right. Well, we've been at it for about an hour. Um, we will let you continue to i know you're not quite there yet but you're almost there enjoying your off season <laughs> kind of sorta um so we'll let you get back to like the semi enjoyment yeah. of your off season and I mean, then it's just get... like a it's just like a lighter workload I, yeah. i'm not escaping completely no um there's still a lot of things to dig into when it comes to this team but right. it's just a much lighter workload and it's not the day-to-day -day grind Thank God. Good. All right. Well, go check out Chris's work, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Um, and again, we appreciate you joining us throughout this season. And be sure to stick with us through the offseason. I mean, obviously, it's a crucial, crucial offseason for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So be sure to stick with us. Well, we will definitely um, be continuing to podcast throughout the offseason, and especially as some of the bigger moments come with the NBA draft, free agency, and all that good stuff. So, um, Chris, we appreciate you as always. Thank you. And uh, again, a job well done this season, documenting a Cavalier season that will never be forgotten, if only because of uh, this pandemic, but certainly not only because of this pandemic, because there was plenty that happened with this Cavaliers team this year. So what are you going to remember most? What am I going to be remember most? Yes. Anderson Verge. Anderson Verge. Oh, come on. <laughs> most people would say Kevin Porter Jr. You'd say Anderson Verge. Anderson Verge. Um, the 10-day contract that turned into a second 10-day, which was actually just a second three-day. <laughs> right. No, I think, I mean, I think a culmination. I think, I mean, there's just a lot. It was the, it was, I mean, the Kevin Porter Jr. And then the Andre Drummond. And then um, I guess, okay, I guess the thing that I'll take away, honestly, uh, the, the, the biggest, the, the highlight of the season for me was Colin's big night against the Nets. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
that was I that was a night that like I thought okay maybe they're gonna turn the corner and they didn't I think they lost 10 in a row after that or something like that so um that was that was what I'll remember I remember him going off against the Nets and Kyrie at a I also remember LeBron coming in and uh, going off at <laughs> Rock Shield House. How about those two? We'll let, we'll give Colin his due, and then we'll give LeBron yeah. his due. All right. What about you? What's your biggest takeaway outside of the necessary? Outside of the what? Say it again. Outside of the what? Outside of the pandemic. What did I say? Oh. I don't know what you said. Oh. I didn't hear you, so I asked you to repeat it. Oh, outside um, of the yeah. That's a good question. I asked this question. I didn't have an answer ready. Um, I'm going to remember. Oh, boy. This sucks, but like Kevin's tantrum, I think. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> All right. And with that, everybody, thank you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, that stands out to me a lot yeah. because because honestly, Hayden, to me, to me, that pushed me to a point of they've got to find a way to move on from him. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think that's a really important thing moving forward and into this offseason for the Cavs. Certainly is. I'm also going to remember uh, the Kevin Porter Jr. thing. Yep. Certainly, certainly because to me that was a big setback in this rebuild yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah all right chris well now go enjoy a right. half off season of uh <laughs> or half half or maybe not half just a less a, a little bit less inversion of what you were going through before with this team now there's the off season and then slowly but surely hopefully you'll get to uh spend more time away and, you know, re-catch your breath after what was a whirlwind of a season. Um, but again, props to you for all of your work. And uh, we appreciate you joining us and making time for us. And uh, and we've navigating each other's schedules so we could do this on a, <laughs> on a, on a regular basis. So thank yep. you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We appreciate you. Um, we will be back with you, definitely talking about this Cavaliers offseason. Maybe not with the same regularity, but definitely with regularity. So uh, be sure to stick with us, cleveland.com slash Cavs, Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care.